All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. We are in our second week uh, of Advent. Uh, Advent is just that word that means arrival. And and so this season is the season we talk about the the arrival of Jesus, the advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, and the idea of thinking of the arrival as as Christ follows. We recognize as we look at the at the advent of Christ and the first arrival, it prepares our hearts again for His second coming, right? The second advent, the second arrival of Jesus, and this is just one of those seasons where we we then look back, right? It's a season where we honestly kind of engage history. We look at the story of Jesus. We we look at um, Maybe the Messianic prophecies, even from the Old Testament, basically just the, the words in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus who was to come. This morning we're going to do that. Because in the context of history, right, history is a great teacher. Winston Churchill once said, this is on the screen, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Those that fail to learn from history, they are doomed to repeat it. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to recognize we're going to look back historically at the at the people of God pre-Jesus as they were preparing themselves for for the first advent, right, the first arrival. They had no idea what it's going to look like, but we're going to look at what God was speaking in that moment and what we can learn from it, right? The idea is that we can learn from every story. In fact, all of Scripture, all of Scripture really is a story of the history of the people of God, whether it was pre-Jesus or post-Jesus. It's a, it's a story, it's a history, and in learning from that history, it's supposed to be something, again, that we learn from so that we don't repeat the things that are negative, the things that are dangerous. The idea is history is always meant to be a teacher. The idea where we see others succeed or fail, and then we respond accordingly. Wisdom always takes history into account. Wisdom. Wisdom always takes history into account. Now, the power of history is found, and here's going to be three words that start with re, okay? The power of history, and these three re's are going to be the three things we focus on this morning. I'm going to speak them probably like five to ten different times. So I'm going to write these words down. These are going to be the focus of this morning and looking at history. The power of history is found when we remember, when we recenter ourselves, and when we re-engage on a path that is good and right. That's the idea of history, right? We remember which causes us to recenter and then to re-engage on a path that is good and right. That's the purpose of the Advent season. It's why we focus on it every year. We always focus on the traits of God revealed in his first coming. We remember them so we can recenter and we can re-engage as we prepare for the second coming. The Advent season is that season of remembering, of, of recentering, and then re-engaging in our spiritual life. Wisdom, then, then leads us to focus on Advent, specifically focusing on these traits of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the trait of hope, right? The Advent of hope, that in the person of Jesus, there was a, there was a birth, there was an awakening to hope, right? They were a people who were living in darkness, who had seen a great light, right? They were in from hopelessness to hope. All of a sudden, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who was going to come, was coming to produce hope inside of them. They were no longer defined by hopelessness. We prayed through that as we worshiped last week. It was with the intention of saying, in the middle of whatever I'm going through, God, there is hope because of your movement in my life. 
This week, we want to awaken and become awakened to the trait, the primary trait, in my opinion, honestly, of, of the arrival of Jesus, and it's the trait of God's love. Now, here's the thing about it. The problem about teaching on God's love in church is you tune out because you've heard 10,000 messages on the love of God, because let's be honest, it's the easiest thing to teach on in the world, right? It's so God loves us so much, right? It's so true. And so sometimes when a message is said over and over and over and over and over again, you just become immune to it and honestly start tuning it out. And just asking you this morning, would you just take that dial, for those of you who don't remember what a dial is, and tune it back in, right? The old radio dial, just tune it back in this morning, right, to recognizing God. I've heard 10,000 messages on your love, and all I want today is to be awakened to it as if it's the first time I've ever heard about it. So, Father, this morning as we dive into history, we dive into your word, as we dive into to the advent of the arrival of love and what that means for us, God, I, I pray this morning, Jesus, would you, would you help us, God, to remember, recenter, and reengage? I just a sense, God, even as I've been, as we go through all of this, God, there's such a desire in your heart, God, to awaken and for many to reawaken to what it means to know Jesus and to walk with you forever. Come and have your way, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So again, the invitation is to remember the love of God, to recenter our lives on it and reengage a life grounded on its truth. This morning, we're going to start with two, two messianic prophecies or words that are spoken in the Old Testament that just speak to the reality of who Jesus is. I always said, I say messianic prophecies. All I mean is things in the Old Testament and history that were spoken to lead us and to point to the coming of Jesus. We're going to look first at chapter 43 and then go back to chapter 42. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can just follow along on the screen. Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 1, going through the first half of verse 5. It says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He created you, Jacob, and he who formed Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you or called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. All three of those speak to something in history, right? They speak to the Exodus. They speak to the Israelites walking across the Jordan River. They speak to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of God being with them in all of those, right? He's speaking back to history. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Again, looking back to the Exodus. Since you are precious, hear these words, since you are precious and honest, Honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give you people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am 
with you. The words of Isaiah, they're specifically speaking here about God as Savior in chapter 43. It's really what it's talking about. He's talking about God as a Savior, what it looks like and what he does. They are a description of what God specifically will do for his people. But even more specifically, hear this, they are a description of the coming Messiah and what God will do through God the Son, Jesus, right? What he will do for his people. Let's look at the preceding chapter real quick in chapter 42. Because 40, because I don't think you, I think you know this. Chapter 43 follows chapter 42. Right? It's how it works. It's how it works in books. Okay? And so chapter 43 is this description after he's already said some important things about the Messiah. He says in verses 1 through 4, here is my servant. Talking about the Messiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness. He will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Here in Isaiah 42, the prophet is looking forward and looking towards the first advent. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the servant whom I'm upholding. I'll put my spirit on him. He's speaking about the arrival of a savior, of Jesus, who would come, redeem them, pull them out of captivity, fight for them, and ultimately who would set them free. It's a powerful statement. Like, this is, this is who the Messiah is going to be. This is, this is who he is. This is what God's going to do in him. He's so confident, he's so confident in these nine, first nine verses that in verses 10 through 17, he's so confident in his hope of a coming savior, even in the midst, listen, even while they're, listen, even while they're still living in captivity, even while they're still living in this dark place, he says, listen in verses 10 through 17, just begin to worship. Just begin to worship. Begin to praise God for what he is about to do. Listen, I love this because the conviction of Isaiah as prophet here in the moment, as God speaking, he's saying a Messiah is going to come. And there was such a truth to it in the middle of their captivity. There was such a conviction of it in the moment. He said, just start to worship. It should be a testimony for us in the middle of our difficulty and our seasons of hardship, whether we focus on the the reality of what we're going through, we become people who are able to see Jesus in the moment, and it fills us with hope. We begin to worship even though situations haven't changed. It's a beautiful picture here. He's saying, the Messiah is coming, so worship. But then he does something interesting. Something super important in history, he basically comes in in verse 18 through 25, verses of of chapter 42, and he reminds them. He reminds them of their reliance on self. He reminds them of their sin and disobedience that led to their discipline and the very reason why they are in need of someone to save them. So he says the Messiah is coming, he's going to save you. Worship and don't forget. Don't forget the life of disobedience that got you here 
in the first place, which then cues chapter 43. Because I am a God who saves. God, he wants to say, I am and I always will be a savior. I disciplined you, yes, but all along the way, I am your savior, and I've had a a plan for saving them. If you read through Daniel, Daniel prophesies 60 years in captivity, speaking to us, saying, hey, discipline has a period of time, but God's going to save, right? It's not about the captivity. It's about God as savior. That's what he wants to do. It's who he is in his life. That's what he's doing. This history is our teacher. Do you see how history teaches in this? We must remember, recenter, and re-engage the messianic truth of Isaiah 42 and 43. We have to recenter, remember, recenter, and re-engage all of these things that Isaiah is prophesying about. About there's a Messiah, worship. Don't forget your sin because God is a God. Who's safe? So with that this morning, allowing in this Advent season, let's allow history to teach us as we look first at this. We must remember, recenter, and re-engage our propensity towards disobedience. The kingdom has come, but not yet fully, which means we live, we are spirit-filled beings who still live in our flesh. We live, Scripture talks about that war that we live in. We have a propensity. We have a, a likelihood to fall into sin if we're not careful and aware and listen to the conviction of God's Spirit. We can never forget what led, listen, in this, we can never forget what led to the need of a Savior. Humanity sinned, disobeyed God. Look at chapter 42, 23 to 25. It says, which of you, which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Like, I don't know about you, that's like, hey, you're going to listen to me or not. Right? That's what he's saying. Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to be plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war, and enveloped them in flames. So they did not understand it. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. It's very poetic and, and, and dramatic language to make a point of saying, in, even in the midst of their sin, when God was trying to convict them, when God was, was allowing these hardships to occur, to try to make them turn back to him, even in that, they still would not listen and lived in this place of sin because we have a propensity towards it. And we have to always remember that. And when we hear that message, we have to then recenter ourselves around obedience and then engage it. That's what we learn from history and this first arrival, the love of God as Savior. Yes, that's great, but don't forget how you got there. And we're always then having a conversation with ourselves and, and with friends to say, are we going to listen? Will you, each of us listen to this? Will we pay close attention? Listen, he wants, listen, he knows that not everyone will listen or want to remember that it was their sin that led to God's discipline. They want a savior, but God needs them to remember, recenter, and re-engage the truth, right? What does disobedience bring? Well, it brings suffering. It brings lost, and ultimately in time it leads to bondage. Yes, God is a savior who will save, but 
We need to be careful to not put ourselves in that position in the first place where we need one necessarily in the sense of our decisions with the actions that we're taking. It is a God, it is God's love that leads us to remember, recenter, and re-engage the danger of our disobedience. Why? To keep us from repeating the life of sin. Like Churchill, Isaiah would be saying, if you will not learn from Israel's history, then you will be doomed to repeat it. I'm not speaking this to be dramatic. Like, I just want you to take that and make it hyper-practical and think about the things, let's just say this month, this week, that you felt drawn by because of your propensity and your flesh to be drawn towards disobedience. Be aware of it. Be cautious in it. Be those who were always listening. Second, Second, from this history of an advent, we must remember, recenter, and re-engage the truth that only God can save. Again, this is, this is simple, but it's the message of Christmas. It's the message of advent. In fact, it's the message of the gospel. You can't save yourself. Your actions, Pharisees, of cleaning the outside of your cup, trying to look holy and right in the eyes of everyone, doesn't make you clean. Only God can make you clean. Only God can save. Only God can do this work. Only God. We have to remember, recenter, and reengage. Look at these words from Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, as we see the work of the Savior, how Isaiah describes the work of the Savior, what he'll be doing in our lives as Christ's followers. says, do not fear. Like, you don't have to fear, guys. For I have redeemed you as the Savior, right? I have summoned you by name, and you belong to me. You're mine. When you pass through the waters like they did in the Exodus, just like I was with them, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, just like the Israelites did, walking across the Jordan River, they will not sweep over you just like it did not them. And when you walk through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel I am your Savior. He goes on in verses 10 through 13 to say, Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from the ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Like you're beginning to see like this. I don't know about you. I want to be awakened to this in every part of my life. What if I live in this as a beautiful conviction with every hellish thing going on in my life, so much so that it caused me to begin to worship and hope that God would save. Like, that's not easy. It's hard. But we sang, remember, so you can recenter, so you can reengage. That's why we celebrate Advent. It's a remembrance 
of the arrival and the advent of this powerful nature of God as Savior. Listen, salvation has a starting point. It's the initial moment that you submitted to Jesus, you surrendered yourselves to his will, and you, quote-unquote, made him Lord of your lives. You got saved, right? Using the language of the verses we just read, Jesus is the only one who can continually save us from fear and redeem us and save us from the dark places we stepped into. There was an initial moment, but he's still continuing to do it every day because of our propensity towards sin and the spirit and flesh tension that we live in. We need him to save us every day. Someone say amen. So Jesus didn't stop saving us the moment we were initially saved, right? Using the language of the verses we just read, Jesus is the only one who can continually save us from fear, who can redeem us and save us from dark places that we step into. Again, when we, all these analogies, when we pass through waters that are trying to drown us, he's walking with us. When we have rivers trying to sweep our feet out from underneath us, he protects. And when the fire tries to consume us, God will guard us. That's who he is. For he alone, it says, is God, and he alone is Savior. The Advent season, it's a season to slow down. To remember, to recenter, and to re-engage the truth that only God is the one who can save you. Who can save us, who can save the church, who can save our nation. Third, third, we must remember, recenter, and re-engage the reason he saves us. Again, because he loves us. Because he loves us. Look at chapter 43, verse 4. I'm going to read this slowly. I want you to allow these words, maybe that you've never really focused on, to pierce you. So God is saying through Isaiah, Since you, since you are precious, since you were honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. What is he saying? In this verse, Isaiah again is looking back to the Exodus. He's looking back to make a point about the day that they were living in. He's looking back to the Exodus and the saving work of God to fight for and to save the Jewish nation while condemning the Egyptians who took them into captivity. They now, in this writing, or in Isaiah, are in captivity in Babylon. And God is saying, I'm going to save you from this nation. I'm going to pull you out and condemn them for the work that they have done. I'm choosing you out of that broken place. It's words and language of choice, of choosing, of relationship, of engaging those whom he loves and rescuing. That's what he's speaking into the moment. You are precious in my sight. I honor you as my sons, as my daughters. Because I love you, I will redeem you, save you from people who are walking according to the will of the enemy. It's powerful language. Just as God chose his people and saved them, he's committing to do it again Because he loves them and honors them as his chosen people. The arrival of Jesus then is powerful. 
That's what it's talking about. It's the arrival of Advent, the coming of Jesus, this messianic prophecy, these words about Jesus saying, these words are true for them in the Exodus. It's true for you today here as we're in Babylon. And it's true for us today living here in Georgia, in this northwest corridor of Georgia. It's true for the church all across the world. Chosen people, honored. He's committing to do it again to save us because we are his chosen people. The arrival of Jesus then here is powerful. Because he was sent primarily, primarily to reveal God's love. That's why he came. He came to awaken and to reveal the power and the nature of God's love. It defines who he is and why he came. Look at this familiar verse. Randall read it this morning from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Just 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then he defines love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I know you don't use the word atoning. Here's how I, my cheap definition, he's at wanting with us. He's just at wanting. He's making us one. He's atoning. He's making us one. He's at wanting. He's an at wanting sacrifice for our sins. He's dying so that we can be one with him. We can be family. Have his last name, right? Christian psychologists and therapists Barna and Gallup reports all today tell us that we live in a world experiencing unseen levels and experiences of loneliness and isolation. If you read all the reports out there that have come in the last three years, that's what they're saying. It's been called the loneliness epidemic. That's actually a book title, but that's what it's called, the loneliness epidemic. They'll talk about our loneliness having multiple sources, but one of the primary issues they name is the lack of intimacy and relationship with those outside of our families, specifically what they would deem as healthy friendships. I agree with their assessment completely, but I would add a primary step before that. I would say the lack of intimacy with Jesus and not remembering and recenter and recentering and reengaging our understanding of his sacrificial love for us, it creates a loneliness like no other. That's why we celebrate the advent and the arrival of his love. Because it's ultimately the source that brings about belonging, that brings about a sense of being family, a sense of identity. I've been in rooms with some of my closest friends and left feeling empty because the only, the only thing that fully fills us is an understanding of the love of the Father for me and for us. So as we talk in this, we have to remember this, we have to not repeat it in this season. We need to move towards the one who loves us fully. This, this is the season of Advent. For each of us and all the traits we're looking at and you're going through your Advent study, it's a season of remembering, it's a season of recentering and reengaging. It's a season to learn from history and not repeat it. We invite Toby to come as we end our time this morning. I want to invite you to remember. 
I want to invite you to recenter. I want you to re-engage. I want to invite you to remember. Let me start here this morning. Go ahead and bring the lights down. And I want to, not don't fall asleep on me, but I want you to focus this morning. I want you to take a deep breath. And then exhale. Wake yourself up. Focus on Jesus. I want you to begin. I, I just want you to, maybe the starting point for, the, for you is, I want you to remember the moment where you were most confident in the person of and the love of Jesus in your life. It's different for each person. It could have been when you were a kid. It could have been yesterday. I think a starting point for us in, in re-engaging the love of Jesus is remembering. Remembering that moment that his love was so real. The things that he spoke. The things that I knew to be true in that moment. Or maybe it's not like a moment, but maybe it's a season, just to that, whatever it was, just that moment or season of life. And it just, it was just seemingly the smallest divide and only an openness in your relationship with Jesus. So then invite the Holy Spirit to enliven that moment. That's part of your history. So with that in mind and thinking of Advent, thinking of the story here of these Messianic prophecies from Isaiah, three things I'm just going to walk through a little bit on the screen. If you want to look at them or you can just listen to me maybe to engage them. Number one, what are the areas that you need to remember, recenter, and re-engage in? What are the areas of sin and disobedience that are affecting you today? Whether it's sin and disobedience that you've chosen that's affecting you, or maybe even someone else's sin and disobedience that are affecting you today. Like this this place where all of a sudden I kind of laid myself bare before God, saying, all right, God, in this season, like Israel, I'm going to listen. Put your finger on those things, God, to awaken me to, God, so that I can move away from those. So, God, what are the areas of sin, disobedience that are affecting me today that I need to remember, need to recenter on, and re-engage you in so that salvation can occur? Just take a moment before the Lord. Worship and the hope that He wants to save, because it's who He is. 
Where do you need God to save you today? Name it. Remember recently we engage the truth that God is your Savior and ask Him to do it. Just take a moment. This is always a time for us where we slow down and we just respond and worship. Some of you, we have ministry teams because like, I just love for someone to pray for me about any of these things because I am wrestling. I have tension around some of the things you named this morning or healing this morning or something God moving in your life and doing something. Or like, you're saying, it's just so hard for me even to pray these things by myself. Would you do it with me? I don't really, it doesn't matter. Just we would invite our family. We would invite you to come up to your family so they can pray with you about things. Or you can worship this morning. You can sit in prayer this morning. Here's what I ask. I just ask you to stay off your phones. We're going to worship from, let's say, from 12, 15-ish. And then we'll be done. So let's take the next seven and a half minutes. Just commit that time to taking a deep breath and engaging Jesus as we start our responds to the Lord for these all kind of praise. 